Good morning. Uh, welcome again to the Christian Church of Carl Junction. I'm so glad you're joining with me today. We're going to be worshiping online today and next Sunday, November the 22nd, uh, due to coronavirus uh, exposure and things in our church. And uh, I'm glad we have the technology to be able to do this on the spur of the moment to worship this way. Uh, on November the 22nd, we had planned to have our All Church meeting where our church is able to hear about the budget for next year coming up and to vote on prospective leaders, and you, you get to be a part of that. Uh, we decided to postpone that until Sunday, December the 6th, just because we're not quite ready with uh, uh, going online right now. But on December the 6th, you'll get to be a part of that. You'll get to um, hear about our budget to vote on prospective leaders. If you're present in one of our in-person services that day, you'll be able to vote right there in the service. If you're online with me that day, then you'll be able to vote via a digital ballot and be a part of that process too, because we want you to be a part of what the Christian Church of Correlation is doing. It's God's working in and through us. I'm super excited for that day coming up. I'm also excited for our harvest offering that we have going on right now. Uh, every year we take this up and the First 50% of the offering goes toward missions. We just give the first 50% away to missionaries around the world. The second 50% goes toward a project um, somewhere around our church facility. And this year that project is to replace the carpet and the chairs in our auditorium. I'm excited to see that happen as well. We're praying for a total offering of $36,000. As of right now, we've received about $8,800, so we have a ways to go, but we're getting started on it. So this month in November, if you'd like to give toward that, you can give online. There's a, a, a tab you can give to our harvest offering in our online giving section of our website at cccj.church. Uh, you can also mail into the church at 103 Hodge Drive, Carlisle, Missouri, 64834. And you can give your regular offerings those ways, and you can also give toward the harvest offering. I'm excited. For what's happening at our church uh, and around the world as God is moving in us and through us. As we're getting ready for our all-church meeting, I've been thinking a lot about church unity. First of all, I am excited and I'm thankful that I get to be a part of leading a church like the Christian Church at Carl Junction where our leaders, we get along. Our leaders have a, a, a unity around the mission that God has given us to glorify Him by being disciples who make disciples. We are unified around helping people come to Jesus, thrive as a family, and go on mission. I'm grateful to be part of a church where our staff functions more like, more like family and less like coworkers. And I'm grateful to be a part of a church where I can walk in every Sunday morning and be excited, authentically excited, to gather with like-minded believers every Sunday. And second, as I'm thinking about church unity, I've been praying for churches that are not experiencing great unity. I've been praying that they will experience better unity because I believe wholeheartedly, and I believe it's backed up in Scripture, that church unity is the key to kingdom growth. Churches that are unified grow. Churches that are unified see disciples made. Churches that are unified see the kingdom move through them into their communities. And churches that are not unified don't. Church unity is the key to kingdom growth. In fact, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, you see the disciples gather up in a room. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come on them in power, and they're praying for it. And, and then the Spirit comes, and then in Acts 2, they stand up and they start to preach, and they start to share the good news that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And 
thousands of people get baptized and join the church, the kingdom grows. In Acts 3 and 4 and 5, this continues to go on as the kingdom is growing like crazy. And then you get to Acts chapter 6. And in Acts chapter 6, something different happens. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in fact, it says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, so the number of disciples was growing, the church was experiencing growth around unity because they were together on things. They were locked in step with each other and with the Holy Spirit. But in Acts 6, when they were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, that's Greek background Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, don't hear me wrong. I think all the widows should have gotten plenty of food. But for the first time in the book of Acts, we see that the church has a moment of disunity. Now, there were people along the way that, that were not following Jesus, right? But this is the first time the church as a whole had a church fight. They had a disagreement across their population. Up till now, the church had been a source of unity, harmony, and love. But now it's gotten large enough that a squabble is broken out because the larger a group gets, an organization gets, or a church gets, the more likely it is to have a fight. And fighting in the church always destroys kingdom progress. It always does. Because it breaks the unity of the bond of love. I was a part of a church one time. I was not the senior pastor of the church or the lead minister of the church, but I was on staff at this church and um, the church was growing fast. It was reaching new families. Great things were happening. Uh, we were seeing the community uh, beginning to see some transformation because the kingdom was coming and it was a really cool, really cool time to be there. And then all of a sudden, almost overnight, things began to get tense and get uncomfortable. And in fact, People started, or they stopped attending almost overnight. Some people just stopped showing up and they stopped giving toward the church. Now, that church, just like the Christian Church of Carl Junction, at our church, we believe that uh, our giving goes toward the mission of the kingdom. So every dollar you give at the Christian Church of Carl Junction goes toward helping people come, thrive, and go in mission. I also believe that giving is a way of engaging the kingdom. I know that numbers are just numbers, but when we give to something, we are engaged and unified with it. Well, this church I was a part of, people stopped giving, which is a sign that they were disunified and they were stepping back. And in fact, they started putting, some of the people started putting their money into a savings account and they told the preacher that when he leaves, they'll give it all to the church. How's that for love and unity? They'd give it all to the church. Now, if the church had been doing something bad or the preacher was involved in some bad things, that would be maybe explainable, still not good, but explainable. But the truth is this church fight that was going on, it, it had begun years before when the church had bought some baby trees. They'd bought some baby trees years before the different preacher in town, a different time, and they planted these baby trees along their driveway, all the way up the drive. And they said when the trees get mature enough, then they would put plaques on the trees that said in honor of with names on them. And that's what they were going to do. And 
somebody one morning woke up and said, hey, where are the plaques on the trees we were going to put on? They remembered it from 10 years ago. And the church said, you know, really, that, that doesn't match our mission of helping people become disciples of Jesus. And so we're not going to put plaques on the trees. And so they said, well, we're out of here. And they left. I took their money with them. And they began this power struggle. Because church fights almost always begin about personal preference. And personal preference always leads to a power struggle. And a power struggle always divides what God wanted to unify. Satan wants nothing more than to divide what God wanted to bring together. And sadly, the world has begun to see that in the church. A broken world has begun to see the church, the kingdom of light and love, become more about fighting and preference than about bringing that love to the streets. I, I did a simple Google search, and I found this. Uh, reasons for, actual real reasons for church fights. Uh, a man named Tom Rander, his group Church Answers, put this out. And these were actual reasons churches have fought and some have split over. Here's one. A church fought over whether or not to build a children's playground or use the land as a cemetery and the church split over that another church argued over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard i kid you not one part of the church thought one and a quarter inches was was adequate another part of the church thought he should be able to go up to two inches and they fought over it a church had a dispute over whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom, I guess they said toilets rode up. These stall dividers divided the church. Another church had a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. They didn't know what their church secretary deserved, a black or a brown one, a two, three, or four drawer filing cabinet. And they fought, and people left the church over the type of filing cabinet they were going to buy. Another church had a fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the lobby because, as you know, there are a lot of accurate Photographs of Jesus laying around places. Another church had a dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the worship service or not. I vote for on. Another church had a dispute because the Lord's Supper communion had cran grape juice. And they thought it should have pure Welch's grape juice. And the church fought over it. Another church argued over what type of green beans the church should serve. And another church had a disagreement and a near church split over using the term pot luck instead of pot blessing because they're a church and they don't believe in luck. The list could go on and on. The point is that is what a broken world has come to expect from the kingdom of God. Hear me out. A broken world full of people that desperately need to know who Jesus is has become more accustomed to hearing that churches are fighting over green beans and land and beard length and hats in the worship service and dress codes and styles of music. They've gotten more used to churches fighting over that than they have to churches fighting for souls. And that might be the saddest sentence I've ever shared. 
as long as you're pursuing personal preference and power struggles, you will only be capable of dividing relationships, drawing lines, putting up barriers, and pushing people apart. And that's what Satan wants for you. He wants to divide you because Satan knows if he can stop church unity, he can stall kingdom growth. Like Jesus said, it's by your love for one another that they'll know you're my disciples because church unity is the key to kingdom growth. In John 13, in John 13, Jesus gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover, this festival, this feast, uh, commemorating when God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and sent them out on their way to the promised land. And in John 13, Jesus gathers his disciples up and they, they prepare to have this meal together. This is the moment that Jesus got down and he, he washed his disciples' feet. And this is the moment that Judas dipped the bread in with Jesus and Jesus revealed that he'd be the one to betray him and Judas ran out. And when this meal is over, it says that Jesus hung out with his disciples in John 14, 15, 16. He hung out and he had this lengthy discussion with them. And then in John chapter 17, Jesus proceeded to pray. He prayed for three things. Number one, he prayed that the Father would finish the work he'd started with Jesus. And number two, he prayed that the Father would continue to work in and through the 12 disciples that were right there. And the third thing he prayed for is Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for you. He prayed that, that God would continue to work through you. This is what it says in John 17, verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone meaning the people right in front of him. He's about to pray for you. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. It's that unity. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, our unity exists so the broken world will see Jesus. Unity in the church is the key to kingdom growth. Jesus says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and them in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity is the key to showing the world Jesus. So how do we gain incredible unity? What things do we do? What are the next steps to be unified? I have four steps for you. Here's four. Number one, we recognize that we desperately need each other. We desperately need each other in fact, Romans 12, Paul was writing, he's talking about the church, and he says, though we are many, and there's many members of the body, we all belong to each other. We all belong to the body, and we all need each other. If you lose, if you lose one part of the body, one member of the body, then the body suffers as a whole. You realize, if you want to be unified with the church, then you have to realize that you can't do it alone. In the kingdom of God, there are no lone rangers. There are no people out there doing great things all on their own. In fact, Jesus even, when he sent the disciples in Luke 9 and Luke 10, when he sent his followers out, he sent them in pairs together. 
because he knows we need each other. We need each other. Jesus talked, said that when when two or three gather, then I'm with them there. He, he knows we need each other. The Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs said that we sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron. We need other people. You desperately need other people. If you've been trying to follow Jesus all alone, if you've been trying to be an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven all by yourself, then you need to hear, eventually you will fail. You desperately need somebody else to walk with you. Desperately. That's why we gather for worship together. That's why uh, we gather in our auditorium on Sunday mornings. That's why if you're gathering at home online, we encourage you to gather with somebody in your living room. That's why we encourage you to join at Oikos, one of our family groups, because we need each other. We have to be together. Number two, we know we're not perfect and we don't have perfect wisdom and we're not infallible and we're going to make errors. And so we, as followers of Jesus, we choose to err on the side of being for people, not against them. We choose to err on the side of being for instead of against. That means sometimes I might get taken advantage of. That's what it is. It means sometimes you might get taken advantage of. Someone might pull one over on you sometime, and that's okay. That means I have to stop being cynical about everything and everyone. I have to start being positive about some things and trusting that not everybody out there is terrible and knowing that I'll be wrong sometimes. But I want to be a person, a man, a pastor, a father, a husband, and I want us to be a church that is for people. And we are known for what we are for rather than what we're against. Because when you're known for what you're against, all you've done is erect barriers around yourself, trying to protect yourself from all the junk out there. But if you are known for what you're for, then you've built a reputation that someone has their hands up, their arms up when you're ready to embrace people that come your way, no matter what. Because when you are unified around the mission of glorifying God by, making, by being a disciple who makes disciples, then you are embracing the outsider and making them an insider. And we, church, we err on the side of being for and not against. Number three. Number three. We give everything we can to strengthen others. We give everything we can. In fact, in Romans 15, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote, he said, We who are strong are to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And then he said, Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. We give everything we can to strengthen others. I am not the pastor of this church to make my name great. I am the pastor of this church to build you up. You are not in your neighborhood to build a kingdom for yourself. You are in your neighborhood to build your neighbor up. You don't have a job so you can get a raise and make more money for yourself. You are there to give, to build others up. Words of encouragement and affirmation and hope and positivity and truth 
and love. That's what you do. We give everything, our time, our words, our relationships, our money, our homes, our families. We give everything to strengthen others because we are for other people and we want to make the outsider an insider. So that when somebody looks at the Christian church at Carl Junction, they don't think of church fighting over green beans and words that we use. They think of a church that exists to make the outsider an insider and to build people up. That's what we do. And number four, if you want to be unified, then we love, you love, like Jesus loved. Listen to this in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 says that Jesus went up on a mountainside. He called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, that's the 12 disciples, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 that he appointed. There's Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John. To them he gave the name of Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. It's an awesome name. There's Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. See, Jesus, when he pulled together a team, when he pulled together the guys that would band around him and begin the mission of bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear on this earth right here, he included people who were absolutely nothing alike. Nothing alike. I mean, look at that list again. You have Peter, James, John, Andrew. They're fishermen. These four guys are fishermen. They're, they're pretty good at fishing by all accounts, but they are fishermen. Laborers. It's what they do. They own a business. They're fishing. You have Matthew, tax collector. He, a man who was viewed as being a traitor of his people, a betrayer of his people, someone who worked for the hated Roman Empire, and he lined his own pockets as a thief. That's Matthew. Peter, James, John, Andrew, fisherman, Matthew, tax collector, same team. They, they brought in Simon, the zealot. Uh, a zealot was a, a politician or a revolutionary. Some even say so far as possibly a terrorist of sorts attempting to overthrow the government. So they brought him into the mix. So you have these four fishermen, these four Jewish boys who are fishermen, this tax collector who's a betrayer of his nation, a traitor to everybody. And then you have Simon the Zealot over here who's trying to overthrow the government that Matthew's working for. You think they ever had words? Simon who's outspoken about how hateful he is toward the Romans and Matthew's working for him. You think they had words? I think they did. They have these Jewish guys over here that didn't like the tax collector for taking all their money. You think they ever had words? I think they did. These guys, without Jesus, would never have been friends. But Jesus brings them together. He brings them together. Because that's how Jesus loves. Then you have, at the end of the list, you have Judas, who betrayed Jesus. I have, a, I have a theory. I have a theory that Jesus knew that Judas, at best, had the capability to, to betray him from the very beginning. And Jesus brought him in anyway. He brought him in anyway. He brought him under the team 
Jesus included the outsiders. See, Jesus, if he was going to go and build a team, he, he could have gone and he could have picked the elite. He could have picked the ones that had the most influence, with the most leverage, with the most friend groups, with the most whatever. He could have done a lot of things, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus went and he chose 12 men who have absolutely nothing in common. And he made him a family, unified around one thing, himself. Later on, uh, the Apostle Paul comes into the kingdom. Now, if God's going to choose a man to be the apostle to the Gentiles and to write a, a half or so of the New Testament and to influence these churches and the, all, all the stuff that Paul did, you think that he could have chose somebody that at least liked him. But God didn't do that. He chose Saul, the Pharisee, who hated him, who persecuted and attacked Christians. And he said, you know what? Saul's the guy for my team. Saul, who was every bit an outsider to this kingdom of God movement that was going on in the early part of the book of Acts, God said, I'm going to bring him on my team. And Saul became a believer, became known as Paul, preached and wrote and changed the world. That's how Jesus loves. He takes outsiders. He makes them insiders. He always did it. As followers of Jesus, we love the way Jesus loved. We love people who are unlovable. We embrace people who are outsiders. We unify people who are natural enemies. And we give people second chances. It's what we do because we are united around the mission God gave us to glorify him by being disciples who make disciples. If you've never followed Jesus and you feel like you're an outsider to what Jesus is doing, and you just want to be an insider, then today I want to invite you, I want to invite you to surrender yourself to the grace of Jesus through the good news that the kingdom of heaven has come near to your life right now. And the way we do that at our church is we are lowered into water to be baptized, and we come out of the water having our sins forgiven, full of the Holy Spirit, to walk as a new creation. I want to invite you to that today. You can message or comment right now. Let us know right now that you want to follow Jesus and we'll be in contact with you. We want to pray with you and to talk with you and help you take a next step. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, I want to invite you today, challenge you today, to put aside whatever personal preference you've been hanging on to, whatever thing irritates you. When you walk into a, a gathering of people, whether it's the church or your job or your home, when you walk into a gathering and you look at something and it just makes you mad, and you know, really you know, it doesn't really matter, but it makes you mad anyway, that's personal preference. And I want to encourage you and challenge you to put that aside. Just say, look, you know, it doesn't matter what song I sing. It doesn't matter what this looks like or what they wear or what happens over here. What matters is glorifying God by being a disciple who makes disciples. And then I challenge you to unify yourself around the one thing that unifies everyone, Jesus. And you let your life become a beacon of light and love to a broken world so that when people think of you, they don't think of fighting they think of Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. 
and then I'm going to let you respond to what Jesus is saying to you right now. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you we can gather up right here. I'm thankful that Jesus had the foresight to pray for me and to pray for all those that are with me right now so long ago. And Father, I pray that you would continue to unify your church. I pray that the Christian Church of Carl Junction would continue to be unified, continue to see your kingdom move in us and through us, and I pray that every other church in the world would be unified around your mission as well, that we would put aside personal preference, we would put aside power struggle, and we would pursue you and you alone, that everything we do would start with you and would end with you and have you in the middle of it. I pray, God, you continue to work in us and through us. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.